0: Welcome back to the Dirt Show. I'm I'm glad I'm back after my one-month hiatus, and apparently some of you are glad I'm back. I got some uh, nice letters. Uh, One of them, however, said uh, the episode was uploaded 19 hours ago, but does not appear under latest videos on your channel page, nor is it on your channel's homepage tab. My son, the producer, says it is, however, on the live page. So if you want to get it, go to the live page. Okay. So I've now read the indictment very, very carefully and very thoroughly. It is one of the strangest documents I've ever read. And to to show you, to demonstrate how open-ended and broad this indictment is. I'm only doing this to illustrate. I'm not going to say it's going to happen or it should happen. Just to illustrate. Under the terms of this indictment, Jack Smith, the prosecutor, could be indicted. Let me explain why. The core of the indictment is that Donald Trump lied to the public, that he lied. He just lied. But Jack Smith lied. In his indictment, he outlines the speech that Donald Trump made on January 6th. It's a very important part of the indictment. But he deliberately, willfully, and with malice, leaves out the key words He doctors the speech. He leaves out the fact that Donald Trump said, I want you to protest peacefully and patriotically. Peacefully and patriotically. Those are the two words that bring him within the First Amendment. Now, you can argue about that. What you cannot argue about is that a decent prosecutor, an honest lawyer, doesn't leave those words out of the indictment. And that's what Jack Smith did. He left those words out of the indictment. A lie by omission under the law can be just as serious as a lie by commission. So under the theory, the absurd theory that lying is now criminalized, Jack Smith could be turned into a criminal. Let me give you another example. One of the indictments is the post-Civil War Ku Klux Klan statute that says if two or more persons conspire to injure or threaten, threaten, threaten the free exercise or enjoyment of any right or privilege secured under the Constitution, they can be convicted. So let's take the following scenario. Let's assume that the Court of Appeals or the Supreme Court agrees with me and many, many other lawyers and says that everything Trump did and said is protected by the First Amendment. Hasn't? Jack Smith then committed the crime of threatening the free exercise or enjoyment of any right or privilege secured under the constitution, the free speech, right by indicting Donald Trump for expressing his opinion, his views about whether the election was fair or not views. I disagree with, but my views don't matter. It's his views that matter by expressing those views. He was exercising his right under the First Amendment. If a court agrees with that, it follows that Jack Smith threatened his free exercise of his First Amendment right. Now, obviously, Jack Smith's not going to be indicted. I just make that point to illustrate how open-ended and dangerous uh, this indictment uh, is. It's the first indictment that I know of that really turns political lies if they are lies, but political lies into into crimes. Now, if every politician who told a lie in order to get elected or to remain in office were prosecuted, Congress and the state legislatures would have to meet in Allenwood prison instead of in the Capitol, because at least half of the congressmen would be guilty under that standard Remember, there are only two presidents of the United States out of the 40-some-odd, you know, that have been elected. Only two presidents who are honored by calling them honest, honest Abe and, you know, George Washington, I cannot tell a lie. That means that virtually every other president we assume was not honest. Otherwise, we wouldn't honor only two of them for being honest. We understand that dishonesty is often the key to electability. Now, if politicians tell lies, there's a way of responding. You tell the truth. It was it Adelaide Stevenson who once said, uh, if you stop lying about me, I promise I'll stop telling the truth about you. Uh, he was a clever guy. Uh, in any event, lies, lies, lies. We hear it on all sides, from all politicians, from all parties. And the idea that you make lies a crime when they're not under oath <clears throat> when they're part of a political campaign or a campaign to remain in office, just stretches the Constitution beyond belief and stretches and shrinks the First Amendment, shrinks the First Amendment to nothingness because the First Amendment is designed to protect falsehoods. Look, I was a law clerk in 1963, 1964. in the Supreme Court, and we had a case, you've all heard of it, New York Times versus Sullivan. I was one of the law clerks uh, who assisted on that case. And in that case, the Supreme Court held that newspapers have the right not to tell the truth. They have a right to be wrong, as long as they don't do it with express malice, with malice. And that's essentially what Smith is gonna have to prove in this case. Not that Trump didn't tell the truth. That's protected on the New York Times versus Sullivan. That's protected. You have to show that he did it with malice, Um, knowing it was false or with reckless disregard for the truth. Now, I think in criminal cases, reckless disregard probably isn't enough. You probably have to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that Donald Trump knew he had lost the election and believed he had lost the election. Do any of you out there really think that Donald Trump knew he lost the election or believed it? Of course not. He had persuaded himself that uh, this was the steal. Um, you know, I'm not going to probe his unconscious and see whether or not deep in the recesses of his mind he had doubts about it. Um, probably everybody has doubts about it. When I argue a case, I have some doubts in the back of my mind. Every Sunday when a priest and a minister gets up to preach, or Saturday when a rabbi, Friday when an imam preaches, you think they don't sometimes have some real doubts about whether prayer works? Um, and they're selling prayer. They're saying, give contributions, make prayers, make donations, give us money, and you know, you'll you get to heaven. Um, but we're not prosecuting ministers, priests, rabbis, and imams. Um, because we know that everybody in the audience understands that maybe it's a little bit metaphorical. I remember going to a friend of mine, a policeman who was shot in the line of duty to his funeral uh, at a Catholic church. And I remember the the priest who I knew because he was a priest at Harvard Square, a really great guy. And he described in detail to the family how the soul was ascending from the body and moving toward toward heaven. And I went over him afterward and you know, told him what a wonderful talk he made. And he kind of apologized to me and said, you know, I don't necessarily mean that completely literally. I'm just not sure. But for the comfort of the family, I had to say that his soul was heading to heaven. I don't know whether he's going to heaven. Uh, I don't know whether he's going to hell. I don't know whether he's going to the place in between the two. I don't know that. But for the comfort of the family, I had to say it. We're going to start indicting people like that? Oh, okay, gonna we start indicting CNN and uh, MSNBC and the New York Times for uh, all the distortions that they have or programs on, on the right for the distortions the left believes that they have? No. Uh, the marketplace of ideas, it was Thomas Jefferson, who said that we have nothing to fear from the wrong reasoning of some if others are free to correct them. That's what the marketplace is about. Chief Justice Rehnquist said under the First Amendment, there's no such thing as a false idea. There's no such thing as a false opinion. The response to ideas that you believe are false or opinions that you believe are false is to answer them, make a better argument, a more persuasive argument. But it's not up to judges or juries. And Rehnquist there agreed with Thomas Jefferson, who said, I don't trust the judges or juries to make decisions as to what's true and what's not true. That has to be left to the people. That's why we have election days, because on election day, people evaluate who's telling the truth. And generally, they prefer to uh, vote for George Washington and Abraham Lincoln over Richard Nixon. Um, I am not a crook. Um, well, you know, he was. And, uh, and, 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 and both Republicans and Democrats agreed that he had to step down from the presidency because both parties agreed he was a crook. Uh, and he did resign uh, and he would have been impeached and probably would have been prosecuted. Um, uh, President Ford did a very heroic thing. He pardoned him and thereby endangered his reelection chances. And he lost the presidency to Jimmy Carter after that. Um, We don't have that today. Uh, Today, the country is as deeply divided over this indictment as it is over some other important issues of of life and of America. And this indictment doesn't help. This indictment doesn't help. The indictment should never, ever have been brought in the District of Columbia. That's where the venue was, of course. That's where the alleged crime was committed. But the prosecutor himself should have recognized that he can't get a fair trial in the District of Columbia. He can't get a jury of his peers when, uh, what, maybe five or six percent of the people of the District of Columbia voted for Donald Trump. It's the most one-sided district of any district in the United States. And then they put him before a judge who has demonstrated um, uh, anti-Trump bias and pro-Democratic bias. And her whole background is in Democratic uh, law and politics. And, uh, and, um, you know, she has shown disdain for um, uh, people who protested. Uh, on January 6th, and apparently has some of the longest sentences. I'm defending one of the December, uh, January 6th people, a young law student who didn't do anything illegal, who was waved in by the police, went in, sat there, went out when the police told him to leave, and yet he's been indicted for a felony. Uh, And we all, all the lawyers said, oh, thank goodness, we're not in front of her, Um, because everybody knows that she Uh, although very sympathetic to Black Lives Matter uh, protesters, is very unsympathetic to the protesters in the Capitol. She's entitled to those opinions, but she's not entitled to express those opinions or use those opinions in applying the law fairly to all sides. So um, I'm sure that if they haven't already done so, the Trump defense will make a motion both to recuse the judge and to move the case to a different district. They should move it either to the middle of Virginia or to West Virginia, someplace that is more purplish than it is is the anti-Trump. Anti, uh, the indictment itself, look, you know my views on this. If you're going to indict, if you're the attorney general and the attorney general who appointed the special counsel is going to authorize the indictment of the man who is the leading candidate to run against your boss, the president, the man who appointed you as attorney general, the case has to be the strongest case in history. It has to be beyond dispute. There has to be a smoking gun, fingerprints, videotape, and a confession. I don't mean that literally, but it has to be a case that everybody, Republicans, Democrats, independents, say, wow, this case is really, really, really strong. The only case that seems to meet that criteria is the case in Florida where he is caught uh, waving a piece of paper in front of people who don't have security clearance and saying on tape, I could have declassified this when I was president. I didn't. It's still a secret. That is a smoking gun. uh, But that is not the most serious of all crimes, because we know that uh, other people, uh, including the president of the United States, the former vice president, the national security adviser, former senator, the person running for president against Trump, they all had possession of classified material. Whether they showed it to anybody or not, I don't know. And there's no evidence that Trump actually showed that document. He just kind of waved it. And there's no allegation that he sold it or gave it to our enemies or anything like that. So there is a very, very compelling factual case there. The problem is the law is it's a paper case. It's a case involving a technical violation of a technical statute. This indictment, on the other hand, involves very, very serious allegations. But the evidence just isn't there. It involves allegations of trying to undo an election knowing, knowing that you lost the election. Now, what I worry about is not only criminalizing challenging elections, but criminalizing lawyers who advise the challenging of elections. Why? Hey, I was one of those lawyers back in the year 2000. I was the lawyer for the voters of Palm Beach County. I went into court in in Miami, Florida, and argued on behalf of the voters of Palm Beach County. You remember the butterfly ballot where the holes were improperly placed so that hundreds, perhaps more, Uh, particularly Jewish voters in Palm Beach County, which has a high percentage of Jews, saw the hole next to the name Joe Lieberman. First time any Jew has ever been on a presidential ballot. And some of these people thinking they were supporting a co-religionist poked the hole in that hole next to Joe Lieberman. But that was a vote for Pat Buchanan, the most anti-Semitic person to run for president in modern history. The man who has... Denied the Holocaust or minimized the Holocaust, the man who has uh, done everything in his power to defend Nazi war criminals, the man who has uh, been one of the very few conservative Republicans who's been virulently anti-Israel. Even William Buckley, a conservative, uh, said that um, that uh, Pat Buchanan couldn't escape the accusation that he that what he has said and done is anti-Semitic. And yet Jews voted for him accidentally. And so I challenged that. Uh, eventually, um, the vice president, uh, Al Gore, decided not to bring that challenge. I think it was a serious mistake because I think he actually won the election here. Yeah, I'm saying it. I think that Al Gore won the 2000 presidential election. I think he got more people who intended to vote for him in Florida than intended to vote for George Bush. And so here I'm saying it. Am I guilty of a crime? I believe it. I wrote a book about it called Supreme Injustice, got a great review in the New York Times. Um, And so uh, I'm going to continue to say that. And uh, I'm going to continue to defend people who say that the 2020 election uh, was stolen. It wasn't. They're wrong. Maybe I'm wrong about 2000. I don't know. I think I'm right. But even if I'm wrong, I certainly have a right under the First Amendment and right under the Sixth Amendment as a lawyer. To maintain that argument in court, I take the same position on Donald Trump and his lawyers here as well. They may very well—no, I'll go further than that. They are wrong. They are wrong. Um, they shouldn't have, um, have have said that the election was stolen. Um, uh, they should have done what Al Gore did: accept defeat. And Al Gore had a much closer case, you know, even by. Republican standards, he lost the election by, what, 560 votes out of how many million that will cast the closest election, not only in the history of the United States, but perhaps in the history of any major uh, democracy. And, and I personally think that uh, he was cheated uh, of the election, but um, he didn't want to fight. He said, look, I'm going to give up. And once the Supreme Court rendered its decision, a close decision, a wrong decision, That's what I wrote my book about, that decision, Supreme Injustice. And I went after some of my friends in that decision. Uh, Nino Scalia was a friend of mine. I like him very much. um, And I really went after him. He didn't like it. Uh, We fought about it. We argued about it. He wrote me a long letter, which I have hanging on my wall, uh, about that decision and about why he thinks he was right. But we disagreed. But we continued to be friends. And um, I was with him just a couple of months before he tragically died much too young. But uh, those were the days when people could disagree and still be friends, unlike on Martha's Vineyard, where if people disagree, they don't talk to you. They walk around you. They pretend you don't exist. And they um, try to ban you from speaking in the library. And uh, this, the book show, the the Martha's Vineyard book show was coming up every year. um, um, Most years, at least I was invited. I was probably... Among the first or second best-selling authors on Martha's Vineyard, but since I defended Donald Trump, they have never invited me uh, to speak at the book fair or, or to even sell my books at the book fair. But that's, you know, that's that's Martha's Vineyard. That's what's happened to to America. I'm sure there are some parts of the country where the opposite is true, where uh, people who are conservatives and extreme right wingers won't let somebody who has a left-wing position or a liberal position speak. I hope not, but I'm sure it's true of both sides. I think today it's, it's truer of, of the left than of the right. I think the left today is more censorial than the right, but I don't uh, eliminate the right at all. I grew up during McCarthyism. I remember how, how much censorship existed uh, during McCarthyism. So I've read the indictment. It's a big, big, big disappointment. So let me briefly, before we turn to letters, go over the four indictments in my book, Get Trump. Um, I go through all of the four indictments. Um, Three of them have already come down, and the fourth is probably likely to come down um, uh, from Fulton County, Georgia. And so the first was the New York state indictment um, by... um, District Attorney Bragg, the worst of all the indictments. Just there's no crime there at all, Uh, the theory of that case. it's, it's, It's almost funny that Trump paid hush money in order to prevent the public from learning he had an affair, if he did, he denies it, with a stripper. So the purpose of paying the money was to make sure it didn't go public. But the indictment says he then had an obligation to make it public by putting it in a corporate disclosure form. I challenge anybody to find anybody in the history of hush money, going back to Alexander Hamilton, um, who has ever publicly disclosed that I I paid the hush money to keep it quiet. Now I'm going to tell you I paid the hush money to keep it quiet. Oh, whoops. I guess it's not quiet if I paid the hush money to keep it quiet. That's the New York indictment. It's so stupid, so silly that I, I would be ashamed to bring it to a case. Of course, the New York Times said it was a strong indictment. Uh, had an op-ed by a former student of mine saying it was a strong indictment, of course, but it isn't. So that's indictment number one. Indictment number two, of course, is Florida. That's the strongest of the indictments. Uh, Trump did possess classified material. So did Biden. So did Pence. So did Hillary Clinton. So did Sandy Berger. But uh, his was worse because um, he uh, didn't cooperate as much. He didn't turn it, it over immediately. And Uh, There are allegations, unproven allegations, um, that uh, he, uh, triple hearsay, that he asked uh, people to erase uh, a videotape. There's no allegation that the videotape was actually erased, but there is an allegation, but it's triple hearsay, that he may have told somebody to erase it. If that's true, it would be an obstruction of justice, but uh, I didn't see any admissible evidence to show that that's uh, that's, uh, true. So that's indictment two. Indictment three, we've discussed, so I won't go over that. Um, that's the January 6th. Strong case, weak evidence. Um, and then there's Fulton County. I don't know what the indictment will be, but if it's based on that telephone call, it's a nothing burger. Because the telephone call, he said, I want you to find. He didn't say, I want you to make up or, or concoct or create or manufacture. I want you to find. Find means it's there. It just hasn't been found. I want you to find 11,000-some-odd votes that would put me over the top title to say that. If that's the case, there's nothing to it. And in in Get Trump, I go through each of the four cases, and I predict accurately that there are going to be indictments in those cases. And uh, there may be convictions, uh, but I don't think they'll survive appellate review, uh, ultimately, when it gets to... The United States Supreme Court, I think the First Amendment will will prevail. It might not prevail in front of a jury in the District of Columbia or Fulton County or New York City. Um, don't know about Palm Beach County, but um, uh, that's why we have courts of appeals. I think it was uh, an English uh, judge who once said, um, everybody in England is presumed to know the law, except Her Majesty's judges who have a court of appeals set above them to set them right. But um, that's why we have courts of appeals. So this is a continuing story, a continuing saga. I don't believe these indictments should have been issued. I think that uh, uh, the two competing candidates should be allowed to run each other against each other. Let the public uh, decide if you're going to indict the man who's running against the incumbent president. It has to be a far stronger case than any of the four uh, prosecutions and cases that he is going to face during his election. Okay, letters, letters. I get letters. I got a lot of letters. Uh, did you get le- did you get less vitriol defending O.J. than Trump? Oh, it's not even close. I mean, people commended me for representing O.J. Simpson. They didn't like that he won, but they liked the fact that I represented him. Uh, I got almost no criticism. Oh, well, a few people wrote me letters, but nothing like what's happened on on Martha's Vineyard and other places. Um, Alan, I'm really mad at you right now. You took too long a vacation. I was going through Dersh withdrawals on a daily basis. I remember you saying you're going to take maybe a couple of week vacations. So virtually every day I've been checking Rumble to see if you're back. And when I'm noticing you're not back, I'm really depressed. I'm so happy you're back. Thank you. Well, I'm sorry you were depressed. I think I did say I was taking the month off. What a wonderful month, you know, Italy and Aspen and Tanglewood. And now back on the vineyard. Are you still cocksure the election was fair and square? Yes, I am. No, fair and square probably probably overstates it. I think there was a problem in Pennsylvania. People were allowed to vote or shouldn't have been allowed to vote. There were problems with the social media. There were problems with the Russian dossier. But even counting all those problems, the vote count would have given the electoral college vote to uh, to President Biden. So the end result was fair. Uh You should take calls more often, uh, live. It's pretty cool. You remember, I got a call in the middle of the show, and I didn't know it was in the indictment, so I got on the phone. It was Sinclair Broadcasting wanting me to be on the air, and I got them to tell me it was in the indictment. That was fun. You can't do it all the time. Uh, I'm frustrated because I love your fair application of the Constitution, yet we absolutely dismiss the clear evidence of real crimes, the Bidens, uh, at the very least, uh, possibly guilty of, which do include bribery and treason. Look, I want to see the evidence. I want to have investigations. But my interpretation of the Constitution may be wrong, but my interpretation, there was no debate about this at the Constitutional Convention, is that the crimes, bribery, treason, other high crimes and misdemeanors have to have been committed during the incumbency of the presidency or is part of the process of getting him elected. You know, if you bribe electors um, uh, and get elected, that's an impeachable offense. But some something that was committed eight years earlier, four years earlier, question whether it's an impeachable offense or not. Um, obviously, that has to be answered by the authoritative bodies. I don't know the answer to that. I don't think that's an impeachable offense, okay. Uh, Your political bias is showing again. You said Joe Biden didn't commit crime. That may be true, but how can you possibly know that? Didn't say that. I said I haven't seen evidence of impeachable crimes yet. There may be evidence, and I think the investigation should uh, continue. Um, Okay. Professor, a bit confused by your statement, the GOP is weaponizing the justice system against Joe Biden. Since the Democrats control the Justice Department, Congress cannot bring criminal charges How are the Republicans currently able to use the justice system against Biden? Well, I define the justice system broadly to include impeachment. And there are efforts um, by members of the House, um, the uh, uh, Congresswoman from Arizona and others, to impeach, to use that system against him. Um, Okay, let's see what else we have. Can it be true that Alan Gershowitz doesn't understand Why the founding fathers created the electoral college? Well, I have a complete and full understanding and you'll be surprised at what the reason was. The reason the founders uh, devised an electoral college is they didn't believe in democracy. They did not want a straight election. They were afraid democracy would be like uh, France and and other countries. The word democracy was never, never used in a positive way. Uh, during the, the constitutional conventions and debates, it became popular really only under the presidency of Andrew Jackson, Jacksonian uh, democracy. So they didn't trust the public to elect the president. They had in mind wise old electors, people my age who had all the experience, who would sit around and decide who the best president would actually be. Uh, and if they couldn't decide, then it would go into the House of Representatives where popular vote would dominate. In fact, every state would only get one vote. That's how Jefferson obviously got elected to president after Andrew Burr pulled the rug out from under him and tried to cheat him out of the presidency. But I'm fully aware of uh, why we have an electoral college and um, and why we have a Senate and why the Senate was not to be elected by the people under the Constitution. It was to be elected by state legislatures and how we had to change that and why only men um, voted um, and only property owners uh, voted and only white men voted. In some, in some states, only Christian white men uh, voted. The number of people who voted in an election was a relatively small percentage of the actual uh, population. Um, you know, we're talking about now, should, should people who are undocumented aliens vote? Back in the day, the debate was, should people who've lived in the country for 100 years and are farmers but are poor, should they vote? Uh, Can they pay the poll tax, et cetera, et cetera. So um, uh, the founding of America was not based on democracy. It was based on a kind of platonic guardianship and elitism. And the electoral college was part of that process. And maybe it's time to abolish it. I mean, another reason for it was to um, assure the small states at least some um, uh, disproportionate power in elections. So that the smallest state gets at least three electors. Remember in those days, even the biggest states didn't get, it's not like California today, which has a humongous number of electors of Florida or Texas or New York. And so uh, there were a lot of reasons that went into the electoral college. None of them seem to be relevant today, but we're not going to change the electoral college as long as one party has an advantage. Um, And it's today the Democrats who who have an advantage. And on a couple of occasions, the Democrats have uh, have won elections when they've lost the popular vote. Republicans have also had an advantage. Most recently, Trump lost the popular vote and Bush lost the popular vote back in 2020. But uh, in days past, the opposite was, was true. So um, right now, I don't think we're going to abolish the Electoral College. But let's remember the Electoral College is not based on the principle of the United States of democracy. It's a republic if you can keep it, famously said, Um, Benjamin Franklin. Uh, See you um, on Monday. I hope you can survive without me for four or five days. Uh, You can go back and see some of the ones you missed uh, and uh, watch me uh, in reruns. And you can read my books, Get Trump. But uh, live, I'll see you next Monday. Have a good weekend. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile